0: This is The Dog and Bone.
1: Welcome to The Dog and Bone, a series of podcasts brought to you by Propeller Group, the specialist agency that builds profile and helps grow business for companies in media, marketing, retail and technology. I'm Martin Lote, founder of Propeller and curator of The Dog and Bone. In each episode, we invite business leaders with something to say into our kennel for a chat, and we ask them to dig up something a bit tasty for us to chew on. In this episode of The Dog and Bone, we're going to talk about career development. I'm joined by Mark Evans and Fritha Hookway, executives who know each other as friends and who, it's fair to say, have climbed to different levels of the career ladder. Fritha, known as Frith, has just returned to London after two years working at Snapchat. She started in their London office as a creative strategist, but last summer she took the major step of relocating to Los Angeles with Snapchat to work with some of the biggest names in the movie business, such as Time Warner, Sony Pictures and 20th Century Fox. Now back in London, she's just started a new role as Head of Strategy at Vidzy, an ad tech video business. Frith was a Marketing Academy Scholar in the 2016 intake, and she's the second female Marketing Academy Scholar we've had on the Dog and Bone. Slightly further up the greasy pole is Mark Evans. Mark has been marketing director of Direct Line Group for seven years, and he oversees marketing for brands such as Direct Line itself, Green Flag and Churchill. Last year he became the Marketing Society Leader of the Year. A passionate supporter of helping other people with their career development, Mark has mentored Frith. He's also the founder of the charity Fun Run Format known as the Sprintathon. And the advertising and marketing industry is getting behind one of these on the 25th of July in support of Stand Up to Cancer and Cancer Research UK. And it's not too late to enter and donate. Just go to Sprintathon.org. Mark, I just was talking about the Sprintathon just then. How do you fit in all these extracurricular things on top of your day job?
2: Uh, Good question. So I suppose I'm very fortunate. I've been in my role for a number of years and have a very strong team, which gives a bit more latitude. Uh, I also think if you're doing stuff which is on purpose, then you get abundant energy. And for me, helping people to perform to a high level, but also be fulfilled at the same time, um, is is absolutely synonymous with the sprintathon. So, so that's uh, that's it as well. But but more than anything, I think career development is something where many people are passive, and careers are squiggly old things. And you really need to take ownership for them. And amazing things can happen, but rarely by chance. And so I think it's a, it's a must-do. Everyone must really take control of their own career development, because otherwise, who, who's driving what? What do you mean by squiggly, particularly? Uh, squiggly as in rarely straight-lined. So uh, if you think about it, in the extreme, all the traditional professions, solicitors, bankers, actuaries, accountants, they the careers that are most likely to be obsoleted through machine learning and AI but in the general fair of things that they take unexpected twists and turns and are rarely predictable and so you have to roll with it but in a planned way and uh, take forced pivots as opportunities.
1: Okay so Frith how do you know Mark and what role has he played in your career so far?
0: Um, Mark and I met I remember actually very clearly getting lost in the building as a good starting point. Um, But when I was on the Marketing Academy, he was one of the mentors. Uh, And so we met to have a chat that I think was scheduled for about 45 minutes. Pretty sure we spoke for nearly two hours. (laughs) Um, And I think that there was a real energy and we just really clicked on a lot of things, Uh, a lot of the things that Mark has already mentioned around purpose and finding reason behind what you're doing obviously when that falls into your job that's amazing but again how you can really make that touch every every part of your life Um, and off the back of that we've stayed in touch and he has become one of the people that I go to Uh, not always when I'm in sticky I don't know what to do situations but definitely those to bring a a really seasoned <laughs> uh, perspective on it. That, that,
1: means, that, that means old. So how does that work for you, for you, for you Mark? Because obviously, you give of your time. Do, do, do you mentor several people at any one time, or?
2: Yeah. Well, I, I use the word mentor um, lightly. So mm. that's the the name that the Marketing Academy give give to this format. Um, but I mean, I think mentoring is just advice, isn't it? Really. And so, yeah, uh, freely give of advice when when it's um when it's maybe required. I I mean in fact I I don't believe in the concept of mentoring per se because it's quite a burdensome thing. Okay. In that when you know when somebody asks you to be a mentor, you've got to control your face because you've got a look of dread on your face because, you know, is this somebody you're gonna like? Are you gonna have good chemistry over time? Are they gonna move? Are you gonna move? And so I actually drop the M word. And right. I think it's much more about just finding the right people to get good advice from. Uh, and so I've got this idea of having a, a virtual board of advisors. And it's these are the people that basically you can buy a, a coffee for and have a chat, but tends to be on specific things. Uh, and so as it goes, when I mentor or advise, I tend to talk about career development, because that's my, uh, my thing. Um, yeah, so drop the M word and go for the A word. And that's where I sit.
1: Talk a little bit about then how you um, dispense the the career development advice. Is it is it done informally? Is it done outside of work? Um, does your does your own employer encourage it, or
2: is it just up to you to do to do your own thing? So, I was at Mars for ten years, and there it was just institutionalized. It was so deeply embedded. The role of leaders was to build leaders. Personal development was not an option. It was compulsory, but in a good way. Mm -hmm. And then I've tried to instill that in my team in the last seven years, and I think it absolutely underpins the successes that we've had. The way I institutionalise that is right from day one, so anybody who joins the marketing team in Direct Line, I have an informal one-to-one with, and I do some gentle brainwashing, which is to say, uh, you need to take control of your personal development. The irony is often they have, just to get to that point, but um, I I use the words, um, nobody gives a shit about your personal development. But what I mean by that is don't expect anybody to care about your development as much as you could or should. And amazing things are possible, but not by chance. And so it's quite well institutionalised in our team. Still work in progress to get more of the company down that road. Because our history was that we came from Royal Bank of Scotland, which was a much more uh, punitive environment and not really valuing personal development. So I think, you know, work in progress. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm loud and proud about it. I think my legacy will not be the the what, it will more be the how, and people being able to explore their full potential.
1: Right. Okay.
2: So Frith, talk a little bit about your, your current situation, because I know you've
1: just changed jobs quite recently. Yes. And I think you were saying before that Mark helped you a little bit in the choices. So tell us a bit about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, Mark's actually been across two recent, well, I say recent, over the last five years, I suppose, two changes that I've made. Um, and definitely acted in that advice, sitting down, let's nut this out. Um, the first one was when I was looking to leave Topshop and thinking about what my opportunity would be after that. Uh, and then most recently, a bigger one actually, which I can get into, uh, which was actually moving countries as well as jobs. Right. Um, I think in the initial discussions, Mark really helped me map out how to think about changing a job. And it's actually become one of the ways that I think you I'll hopefully navigate the rest of my career. because it's not so much looking for what you want to do. It's looking for the things that you truly believe in. Um, and writing like a list, you know, what are the things that excite me? What are the things that really keep me interested? and keeping that quite broad. So it's not tied to an industry or tied to a role. And then on the flip side, what are the things that you don't want to do again? What are the things that you know bore you to tears or are not really driving you forward? And being really accountable to that. And I think why that is such great advice is you're suddenly, if you are looking for a new job, you're suddenly not looking at job specs, but you're really dissecting what a job could be against those things that you've identified as being really important to you.
1: It does sound like kind of common sense, though. Should we, should we in what sense do you, did you need that to be
2: kind of ex- explained?
0: <laughs> well, I would say that, I'd Sh- say shush, that...
2: that was, it was really, really uh, technical and difficult and profound advice. No, you're right. It's absolutely common sense. <laughs> I
0: would say, yeah. Do you know what, though? I would say that more often than not, the hardest things, or the things that we overcomplicate, can be detangled through common mm, sense. Right. But, Careers are complicated. You know, we have so many expectations that are layered on top of them. There is a huge amount of pressure that goes with the choices that you make. So sometimes common sense is the easiest thing to ignore. And honestly, how many times has someone told you to write a list and you're like, Yeah, yeah, cool, yeah, cool, that sounds smart. And you needed, never write a list. Never get around to it, yeah. Put it down on a piece of paper, it's staring back at you, and you suddenly have a very different way of thinking about it.
1: So what was it like working for Snapchat in LA with all these film studios? I mean it does sound very glamorous.
0: Yeah, I mean the LA this is really funny if any of my friends listen to this they'll be like I can't believe you are literally on a podcast talking about LA because I feel like it's been such a big journey of mine over the last year um but it's been pivotal really um both professionally and and personally I would say probably more of the latter in fact um so the background to that is I had been at SNAP in London for about a year and a half perhaps and honestly having the best time I I used to say, (laughs) it sounds a bit corny, but I used to say I loved Mondays more than I did Fridays because the culture, the the people that we worked with, the work itself was so exciting. Like you'd turn up and you'd be like, oh my God, guys, cool. We get to do this for five days. This is amazing. You know, that's so rare. (laughs) Um, And so I was having the most amazing time and then was presented with an opportunity to move out to LA to head office. And of course I said, yes, you know, I was very happy with where I was, but I said, yes, because it's what you do. Uh, And I think, I wouldn't call it a mistake, but I think that the first mistake that I made in that whole thing was not really scrutinising that decision, not really thinking, is this the right thing for me right now in the context of my life? And when you think about it, you know, moving countries is a big deal. Moving countries completely by yourself, where you know no one, is very difficult. And basically I had a bit of stuff going on outside of work at the time that meant I wasn't in the right headspace to truly commit to that and it could have been anywhere um and I don't think it would have been right for me I mean thankfully it was LA which meant it was sunny and it got a great tan um but ultimately that decision to move wasn't right for the context of my life at the time and so I wasn't really setting myself up to make it work um And I think it was the first time, Mark and I have talked about this a lot, that I really understood the relationship between what's going on outside of work and how that can affect the success of what happens at work. And, you know, when you think about it, we're so trained into thinking work and life don't cross over. I think that is changing, but there is an expectation or almost a an understanding that you leave things that are happening outside of work, you know, they don't, they, they don't bring them into the office. And I do get that on a, on a day-to-day. Um, but on a bigger picture, they are so codependent. You have to look after both of them in equal measure to set yourself up for success. Um, and I think that was the, you know, really understanding that I wasn't going to be able to make this move work um, as as I sort of set myself up to expect, was r- having that crystal moment of understanding. If I want my career to grow, I need to take a step back and actually look after this right. this other part. Um, but
1: looking back on it, then do you do you see the, your time in LA as a sort of mistake or a sort of part of the journey no, to kind of find out where you needed to get to? I
0: mean, no, I would I I would never say anything as a mistake. Um, particularly being at the other end of it, I'm so grateful for the time that I spent there. I mean, I did some amazing work. I was, you know, with the film studios, meeting film directors, you know, it was a huge learning curve professionally. I don't think just because I got to the point of realising that it wasn't quite the right move for me means that it was a mistake. I think, if anything, it was probably one of the most informative things to help me make better decisions with my career. I'd say... What's difficult with it is when you do identify with being really career driven, it's hard to sometimes take a step back and think, OK, something else actually has to take priority. It's quite disorientating.
1: Mm, yeah. Mark, what's your recollection or your input into into that stage in, in Fritz's life? Because obviously you were, you were advising her at that time.
2: Yeah, so uh, I mean, I guess the, just to say the point out loud, the, the reason I'd like to... Uh, advise or mentor or whatever, uh, people like Frith, i.e. people on an accelerated trajectory and they're going to do amazing things, is that you, you get an energy from it, and it's a it's a very mutual process, so it's not a, a selfless thing and uh, far from it. Um, and all the conversations I've had with Frith have always been, you know, you can see and uh, hear the energy and the excitement and enthusiasm and the positivity, so that, I mean, that's a great thing. Um, in, in that specific situation, I think it just being there to listen, Frith had a lot going on and needed to uh, disentangle or whatever the words were, untangle all of that. Um, but I think she knew, often it's the case, she knew the answers, she just hadn't really distilled them down into a, a plan or a, into action um, as opposed to, you know, she really needed more input, let's say. Um, but I, the thing that I, you know, particularly is impressive, I think, about Frith uh, is uh, you know making the brave calls so if I the very first time I met Frith, I'd done my homework and realised registered that she'd done a blog for committed to do a blog for a year and then sort of three quarters of the way through, thought that why am I doing this? I'm now a slave to this thing. <laughs> and had made the brave call to stop. And I think it was probably the obvious decision to go to LA, but it was a brave one to come back. And so I think there's probably at the margin a bit of reassurance that that bravery is well placed and it's not rash, it's the right thing to do. Um, but but more than anything, I think it's helping an individual to to sort of funnel and channel their own thinking. And, and the answers are already there, they just need to sort of, you know, be uh, um, clarified. Yeah. Right.
0: And I think kind of what you're talking about goes back to your point around common sense. Like, it's what it is, but sometimes when you're the one in a situation, you just can't see that.
1: Yeah, you made a good point there. Yeah. No, just, well, that's great to get that specific on, on Frith's um, journey, but just more generally, Mark, with other people that you advise and in your experience in work, um, you, you've mentioned the, well, the point has been mentioned about trying to find some, some sort of purpose and why you're doing things. With your own career, you've obviously got your job, but you've got lots of things going on Outside the job, like you know, you founded the Sprintathon idea, mm. for example. Um, do you see it then that uh, the the way forward for others is to kind of find things kind of outside of work that feed that need? Or should we try and find employers and organizations that enable us to, to to bring it into the workplace, maybe get involved in charity under the workplace, in under the under the time
2: that you're being paid rather than at your weekends and evenings? Yeah, well, so it's it's all about the context, really. I I suppose the benefit of longevity in the role tenure means that it's a bit more possible to do that. So after seven years, there's not really many sort of unknown unknowns kind of crop along. Um, Personally, I'm a big advocate of people having side projects because I think it makes you better for a couple of specific reasons. One is it continues your learning and new skills and so on. Um, And the second is it just gives you perspective. You know, you step away and when you step back in, you've got a slightly different perspective. So I'm, I'm an advocate of side projects in general. I think the bigger point though, is that if you can be clear on your purpose, your why, you know, or, or you know, just generally what you're good at, then that hopefully is something that you're good at in all aspects of your life. So, purpose more of a sort of a way of being. And so, for me, it's as I've said, it's helping people to achieve increased performance and increased fulfillment. And normally, it's perceived that that's a trade-off. You know, you have to just have to work harder if you want to be more successful. But the 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 thread that runs through that is if if you just know what you're really good at intrinsically, what is it that you you're good at, you're motivated by, um, you like doing, then just doing more of that is the answer, and that can pervade across through into your work, how you are as a parent, how you are as a friend. Uh, And I think that so it's not extra effort; it actually makes things easier. And then then you've just got the bandwidth. And um, you know, who 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 wouldn't want to be able to have a greater impact? Uh, than just their job, if it's actually a natural thing to do. Sure, but you mentioned, you know, with some longevity in
1: your job, you have a bit more of a license. So it'd be great to get both of your views, because some people listening to this podcast will be a, a more junior stages in their career and be going, well, great, I would, I would love to be the company's head of um, inclusion or get involved with the the company involved in a charity, but I'm little bit at the back of the pack at the moment, and how do I catch my boss's eye or what's the right moment or how should I surface that because not everyone can could do that. So I don't know if you've got any tips or advice for some of our listeners who might not have got to the stage of surfacing those kind
2: of purposes within their workplace. Yeah, I, and it doesn't have to be only in your workplace, I suppose. Mm. Um, if, I think I'm a great believer of serendipity, and if your antenna is up for something and you're just finding a way to give something somewhere, you, you'll, it will find a home. And right. it may be through a club or something, or just by chance. Um, but you're right. I mean, there may be a pecking order in a work context. Um, but if if it's something you're passionate about, you believe in, you love doing, then you know use all your resourcefulness that you would in your job. So kind of the same skills: yeah. planning, influencing, structuring an argument um, to to get that that other thing. Um, and uh, don't don't let hierarchy be an inhibitor. Easy, easy said than done. Granted. But I think if you really really want something, then fight for it. Frith, what advice would you give to people following your kind of
1: footsteps in career development?
0: Uh, I mean, uh, quite a lot of what Mark said is sort of just nodding along. I think people probably underestimate how interested employers are in what their teams are doing and what they're interested in. You know, I think quite often junior people can come into a role and think, I'm here to do a job, And anything outside of that might be seen as unnecessary or I'm not putting all my attention into it. And it's it's, it's such a mechanical way of thinking about it. Every time I've managed teams, you know, your team is strengthened when everyone actually understands what everyone else's interests are. It's a genuine, you know, want to know what everyone's up to. And if someone's passion falls into that, bringing that into a work context is great because it I don't know. I think it's it's almost more of a cultural piece. Um, It's not always necessarily tying it to something like, oh, this is a charity that I'm involved in or or this, that, or the other. But, you know, people are interested. And I think that if you can just have confidence in knowing that other people are going to want to know what you're interested in, a tangled way of saying it.
1: I do find it's a slightly in my experience some split audience sometimes you'll have some who really want to go for that and explore and push on and then you will have a few that i mean if it's in a workplace situation i'm here to do do a job and i don't really want to give more of that or be asked to get involved i mean i had one example i heard of where uh, it was quoted look why don't we why don't we do this a bit different and people said well it's, it's not on that person's job description so we're gonna have to get over that and that to me was a bit of a blocker but yeah. you know you do you do hear that
2: uh, yeah i mean i think there's but the reality is that there's just no room for coasting these days. And even if people don't want to get promoted, that's absolutely fine. But they've got to keep developing in their role, because otherwise you're mm. kind of running backwards. Yeah. And and so there, there's for us, we have quite a labour of love personal development plan template. This is a DLG. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's if you want to go on any sort of training courses, get any budget, you've got to have a clear and coherent personal development plan. It means that it has to be a continuous and good quality conversation Um even to stand still in with the world changing so fast uh, it's just not acceptable to go on autopilot and job descriptions are getting less and less useful over time yes just just to pick up on one thing that frith said in terms of uh, more junior people are can still be very very interesting to organizations to be really crunchy about that the concept of reverse mentoring is growing at a pace now and in in previous times we've had people experts in SEO or paid for search or whatever it is reverse mentoring all the way through up to CEO um because the in a complex and fast changing digital landscape it's not it's just not practical for senior folks to stay on top of it all and the better ones are open minded to learn from the people who really know the stuff and so i think you can you can sort of package up your expertise in quite a nice way and get more share of voice than would be traditionally um, possible. This is for a, a younger person reverse yeah, mentoring up the ladder, as absolutely. it were. Absolutely, it's yeah. very very well established as a concept, mm. and and you know the, a lot of organisations are doing more of it. So there's the airtime to be had. Frith, do you do you reverse mentor?
1: Do you reverse mentor Mark?
0: I don't know. You <laughs> do. Unknowingly <I'm> <laughs> okay. you do. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think. To be honest, with ev- I, I'm I'm very fortunate. I think I've I've met some really amazing people who have been very um, generous with the time that they give me, and yeah, reverse mentoring I think is almost a byproduct of mentoring. You know, when you are having a conversation with someone, it's never one sided. It's a conversation, and irrespective of what you think, even if you're not doing it intentionally, you're bringing your experiences to them, and that is new context to them because no one sees a situation in the exact same way.
1: I suppose in your your kind of role, you know, having worked at Snapchat and now at a video platform, you're working with content that some people in board level, you know, they're not on Snapchat, put it that way, and so they might need your your help and advice um, more often than not.
0: The number of Snapchat tutorials I've done to, I was going to (laughs) say, older people, (laughs) people. I can't count. It's usually when I go home, though, and mum's like, I don't get what you do. Show me how to use <laughs> it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's the technical aspect to it, but I think probably what Mark is, is touching on is is actually the experience and the context of that. You know, to for, for senior people to stay on the pulse of what's important to their teams, which is crucial if you want to be a good leader, you have to stay in check with how they're feeling. Yeah. You know, I think that the... Mark and I talk a lot about you know what makes a good boss what makes a good leader mm. and again it's common sense <laughs> um but it's not that common
1: no not that common good point um going back one step then because obviously you two kind of found each other but for people listening who are saying well this is this is great i want to be like frith and i want to have somebody like mark <laughs> who can advise me where where can they where can they find them
0: this is really interesting. I think you were on the
1: marketing academy which yeah. helped. So you, you reached out and got yourself a scholarship, so you were obviously
0: Yeah. Out I mean there. I, I it's interesting that you bring that exact point up because I've been talking about this with friends recently. It's really hard. It is hard to find a mentor because it's not like um you can just set someone up in the chemistries there. Often it is a personal introduction, it's you know, through something like the Marketing Academy, which is a brilliant organisation for really pairing people together. But I think sometimes the better way of approaching it is, and I I would always give this as advice to, to anyone, is seek out people that you're interested in and don't wed that to your industry. Because when you're seeking out people that are interesting, it's genuine. You have something that you want to discuss with them and that's where you find these really interesting connections. And more often than not, you'll find that those are the people whose perspective can actually very easily be drawn into a work problem or how you're overcoming a challenge. But you, have to, you do have to be quite proactive in reaching out to people and being like, I think what you're doing is quite cool. Right. Do you have 10, 15, 20, two hours? <laughs> I'll take,
2: well, I mean, I mean there's, there's a very elegant pitch which is the opposite of saying, "Will you be my mentor?" Which I'm. Oh my God, is that a lifetime's commitment? What mm-hmm. am I signing up for? <laughs> Which is, you know, uh, I-, I saw you do. I saw that presentation you did. I thought you were amazing. I really liked this. I'd love to know more. Can I buy you a coffee? Or I've got a really sticky problem, and I can see you've you've tackled that problem in the past. Um, I'd love to get your advice. Can I buy you a coffee? And it, you know, it generally ends with, "Can I buy you a coffee?" And you know, it it has a hundred percent strike rate because. Somebody's being flattered and being offered a coffee. It may not happen next week. It may be next month or in a few months' time. But it has a 100% strike rate because people are flattered and, you know, we're willing to give a, a bit of their time. And it's, you know, don't, don't put a 15 or a 20 minute on it. Just say, I'll buy you a coffee. <laughs> and it might turn into two hours because you get somebody on their specialist topic and they'll, they'll go for it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's quite sort of an elegant and diffusing way to, to get good advice if you get somebody on their
1: hotspot. I've got to ask you, Mark, then, so how does it work the other way? Because where do you get your advice from?
2: So I'd, we've talked about it in the rounds. I do have a vo- virtual board of advisors of people who I go to, but go in a very choiceful way for specific advice. Um, I, I mean, Frith makes a really good point. In the end, these are just conversations. And when you're a mentor or advisor and you, you actually get to hear your own thinking out loud, that's also tremendously uh, beneficial but yeah I mean it's, it's the same rules apply I go to people and get good advice and I think being just making sure you're surrounded by people who can give you good advice is the answer to all life's quandaries really. Talking about perhaps a little bit about
1: exposing oneself and, 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 and vulnerability do you find if you reach out for advice from a fellow professional are there any sort of sensitivities there that you're if you like exhibiting that you know you haven't got all the answers and in one w- view of life
2: that's something which some people don't want to share or are you happy just to reach out and go for it? Uh, well no, I think now you're talking about ego really in terms of you know am I am I perfect do I have to be perfect um, and uh, I think that's sort of a bit of an outdated concept and the the mantra now is you know be curious and learn and unlearn and relearn and so if you're going to have a learning mindset you've got to be pretty comfortable with the fact that everything that you've already known up to this point is less and less valuable over time and you've got to keep re-energizing with new insight and knowledge so i think i think it's, it's like that's an ego question so what would be your attitude
1: to um when when people make mistakes and i'm probably thinking about the work work environment because there's kind of counter views aren't there i mean i was watching like a lot of people line of duty the other day and uh, the uh, assistant uh, police officer on the interrogation of mm. ted hastings made a mistake and so the senior one said i expect your resignation in the morning the counter view is that they'll never make that mistake again and should be embraced and and, and go forward i mean what's your what's your view of when people slip up at work how do you uh, how do you handle
2: it i suppose you know there, there's obviously it's about consequences and stuff isn't it so i mean my my wife's a nurse and so you know, when people are sort of dying, it's, you know, I've never gone home from work and been asked the question, did anybody die at work today? Right. And the answer has been yes. Okay. Right. So I suppose it's about having perspective. Um, the, the, I've heard somebody once say, and this is, again, you pick up all these things from having good advice, uh, that it's, it's not about what's happened. It's about what's next. And I think as long as somebody takes accountability for their mistakes and learns from it, genuinely learns from it, um, then there's, I've never had to fire anybody for a mistake and I don't know anybody who's been fired for a mistake and uh, you know there's, there's a notion that failure is an important part of success So there's a great Will Smith video where he talks so vividly about when you train as an athlete you train to fail and it's only at that limit point where you fail that you learn and, and so within reason failure is really important. I know there's uh, P&G have a sort of a failure KPI which mm. as in they need to make failures to learn. So um, it's I know it's it's a quite a cultural thing, in different parts of the world. That's you know the acceptance of failure is really hard. But I think if you want to keep learning and stay curious, you've got to accept you're going to screw up now and again.
1: We had Keith Weed on a version of the Dog and Bone podcast. Obviously, just leaving Unilever, and he had a phrase. It's something something like, "If you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough." Yeah. Um, what's your t- take on sort of on failure? Failure. <laughs> How long whether have we got? It, whether it's not <laughs> failure, it's. Uh, it's,
0: it's not. Failure has got the worst reputation. You know, it's, sorry, but it's going to happen, you know. Um, almost just, like, throwing back to, to the LA thing for a second, you know. Before I left, everyone was saying to me, oh my gosh, you're moving to America. If you can make it in America, you can make it anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to crush it. Like, gosh, they just love to say crush it. Um, and what happens with that is, you absorb all of it, and that becomes the narrative you tell yourself. That becomes the definition of success. So when, as I found, I got over there and I was like, do you know what, this actually wasn't the right thing to do, you, you start to feel that everything, everything that you're feeling toward a situation is the opposite of how you've been told you should feel. Mm. And that, I think, is where notionally, you can start to associate decisions that you've made or choices that you've made as failing if you go back on them. And that is a really uncomfortable place to be in. I think that that was the point I called Mark. I was like, here, I'm just going to lay this all out (laughs) and we're going to iron it all out together. But the reality is, and I think the the main takeout that I had from making a decision, realising it wasn't right, having the courage to acknowledge that and do a full 180 is that once you're through something, nothing is ever as big as it feels at the time. Right. And careers are squiggly, you know, but they're also one of the biggest, longest things we'll ever do in your life. There are going to be ups, there are going to be downs, there are going to be things that you do so well, and there are going to be things which you will label as a failure. And I think if you can get your head around the fact that not one single moment is going to define your career, you're in such a good position for dealing with failures, as well as dealing with successes. It's very humbling when things go right, and it's really grounding when things don't go right, um, because... There is, you know, there is no way that things are always going to be good and they're always going to be bad. Your career will ultimately be defined as to how you deal and learn from all those experiences. Yeah, I just, take, sorry, sorry Martin.
2: There's a, there's a great book on this. I mean, it may sound a little churlish, but um, uh, just bear with me on it. It's, mm. it's called uh, Doctor Zeus: Oh, the Places You'll Go, <laughs> which is a which is a kids' book. It was a cartoon um, and it takes five minutes to read, uh, but it does. It talks about the adventure of a a boy goes off and there's lots of ups and downs and it's sort of, um, you know, a, a kid's story. But underneath it, it, it basically says you will be successful, fulfilled, uh, content, happy, but but not every day or every week or every month or every year or every project or every organization. But it's the undulations which creates the learning and, and makes for an interesting life story. And so it's I would give it away a lot. I highly recommend it. I think it's four quid on Amazon, but it is a great metaphor for the way that careers, uh, you know, twist and turn. Useful tip. Just going back
1: a sec, then, Frith. So, in terms of specifics, how did your how did your boss react when you when you said you wanted to 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 leave the uh, the job in LA? Was that a was that a sort of a shock that needed handling, or was it was it becoming apparent that you wanted to move on?
0: I think. To be honest, just because the context of me changing my mind about that role feels bigger because there was like a country move involved and everything, it was really no different. You know, I didn't I didn't think, oh, I need to leave LA, I need to leave Snapchat, I need to change everything. It was just sort of looking at I've said this, you know, a little earlier, looking at the context of my life and thinking about what would be the best thing for going forward at that point and it's just a conversation that a supportive employer as Snapchat was, you know, I still love everyone there and I think that they've been ama- they've been amazing. It was a wonderful place to work. They get it, you know. It's 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 representative of a good culture, you know, treating people the same way as you do when they're coming in as they do when they leave.
1: Yeah, Mark, I don't know how many people you've got in your department, but you must em- employ dozens of people. Do you um, feel that you, you, you need to try and know what their own career aspirations are or they'll signal it to you or is, it, is the onus on you to try and interact with them?
2: Yeah, d- definitely. It's, uh, there is a, a responsibility to help people to develop their thinking about where they want to go and what they want to do. Um, I'd, I'd much rather be working with people who have constantly checked, are, are they doing the right thing? Are they in the right place? And keep recommitting. There are, there are organisations which say, go out there and find out what you're worth. Just so that when they come back and it's there and they're fully committed and want to be there. But yeah, I mean, this is part of the, the role of a leader is to help build leaders and understand how people can progress. And if that means moving organisations, because that's the right thing, then so be it. And I you know, it'd be hypocritical for me to say anything else, because I've built my career out of moving around a bit. So I think it's, uh, it's all, that's all... Part of the leader's responsibility.
1: How did you come to your um, decision on your last big move?
2: I suppose was into a direct line group. Where were you before? Previously, at HSBC, oh. but only for a couple of years. Well, I guess the this is an interesting thing. I, I suppose I've worked in a few marketing departments now, and. There is, all the challenges are a variation on the theme, really. Okay, yes, the, lands, the media landscape is changing a lot, but it's all kind of variations on the theme. So I went to join because it was just about to go through an IPO process, which I'd never been involved in before, but also the marketing department was a proper bag of spanners. I mean, it was pretty broken. And I think the uh, as you get a bit older, for want of a better word, <laughs> then the, the bigger challenge means you need to go somewhere that's a bit more broken so that you can fix right. it. And And rather than go somewhere that's perfect or done, best to go somewhere that's imperfect or just starting.
1: Talking about things that are imperfect, um, we're coming towards the end of our little podcast here, and we always finish on the same question, which is to ask people about their most uh, embarrassing or awkward moment in in, most imperfect in a work (laughs) in a work situation. So,
2: um, Mark, have you got one of those ready for us? Um, Well, I, I, I. do do things like this all the time but like I'm bad at names and faces and stuff like that so I've had loads where you know t- two people come over to you and you're the conduit that should be introducing yeah. the other I've yet to find a technique to dig myself out of that situation <laughs> where I just I, I'm, it's like you're the moth to the flames of not being able to know their names in time to introduce them so all those sorts of things and I, I sit next to people and I only realise like half an hour later that I've met them before or know their name, I was recently I was sat next to Alex Mahon from uh, Channel Four, talking to her ages, and literally after about an hour, realised that she was the CEO of Channel Four. So that's my. I, I do tons and tons of faux pas. My wife would talk to that. That you know, some, sometimes a bit clun- clumsy with social etiquette. I know it's not devastating, but that's that's my thing. So what did you say to what did you say to Alex before you realised that she it's was? It's a, just that the you know when there's that looks like oh yeah okay we now yeah. both realise that what's what. So she uh, said
1: I work at Channel Four and you went yeah. No, you know, just, it just so suddenly sad.
2: dawned and then I sort of tried to. <laughs> tried to sort of correct it in the moment badly, made it worse, you know, that sort of thing.
0: Oh my gosh, that is so tame. It was a bit tame. <laughs> that yeah. is so tame, yeah. don't worry, I can like do it for the both of us. Was the question the most embarrassing thing? Like, is this yeah, where we're going? Yeah, okay, is, I'm going to come in strong. You, you have a go. So, <laughs> the fact, like this is, there's, there's nothing that will probably, hopefully ever top this. I I think the fact that my most embarrassing thing happened two years into my career, and it still remains to be the most embarrassing thing. It Speaks volumes for just how how bad it was. Um, I was presenting to a really, quite a senior, large group of, of people. Um, this is probably about 10 years ago, uh, doing social media influencer strategies, so, you know, all new buzzwords and everything. And I, I was nervous, you know, and was presenting this lineup of people that we were going to be working with. And one of the influencers was called Ben Feliciano and you know I'm standing at the front of this room trying to make it sound like this whole new influencer thing is really where it's at very conscious of projecting my voice and speaking very loudly um, and enunciating my words in the right way and I went on to say and we're going to be working with Ben Felicio And it was one of those moments where you just stop, everything stops, it's frozen, and all you can see is just the word you've just said sort of form in front of your, in front of your eyes and sort of then all the letters reshuffle and just say, ah, you know, like you've just absolutely blown this. Um, and I think it, it almost wasn't until like a sentence or so later that I truly registered what I'd said. And I think in those situations, you've only got two options, like continue on or run away. And I think, actually, I think I did both. I think I continued on and then I bolted <laughs> the minute that the presentation was done. You didn't kind done.
1: of acknowledge it and uh, say, try to dig yourself out of the hole that no,
0: way. No, no. But, you know, here I am 10 years later still saying that that is probably, probably worse. the worst thing I've ever done in a room.
1: One of the tips you gave earlier on is these: with these things, when they happen, they seem a lot worse than they are looking yeah. Looking back that one so. still feels pretty big <laughs> <laughs> right great well look thank you both thank you Mark Evans thank you Frith Hookway for joining us on the Dog and thank Bone you it's you been great us. to chat to you both thank you thank you thank you thanks for joining us on the Dog and Bone please subscribe to the podcast and if you have any questions or suggestions do get in touch via our website dogandbone.dog or send us an email at woof at dogandbone.dog